if you are caught, would you end your life? I don't know if I would have the balls to kill myself. I want to think yes, I would kill myself. The government shoots me and there will be euphoria. But at the end of the day, you figure out nothing changes. The problem is drug trafficking involves millions of people. How can you control them? As soon as a capo is killed, captured, or extradited, his replacement is ready. 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 Ismael Zambada Garcia. His people refer to him as El Mayo. In the drug trafficking industry, El Mayo is on a level few have reached. He's been involved in the industry for over 50 years now without ever stepping foot in prison. He is estimated to be worth over $10 billion, controls various companies, and hasn't been seen in years. Described as tall, with a serious demeanor but polite, he suffers from diabetes. He prefers the classic Sinaloan-style cowboy sombrero in white. El Mayo is from Sinaloa. He was born on January 1st, 1948, in the small town of El Alamo. El Mayo comes from a poor family. He used to work odd jobs, like others from his hometown. He worked as a truck driver, farmer, and even washed cars for the municipal government. When El Mayo was 17, he married his girlfriend, Rosario. Soon after, they had their first child. As the family began to grow, El Mayo realized the legitimate jobs he worked were never going to afford him and his family a better future than what he had experienced growing up. At the time, marijuana was a growing business. It was the mid-60s and the gringos were looking to buy ever-increasing amounts of the green herb. El Mayo saw how much potential wealth the mota business could bring. For someone with enough brains and heart could quickly amass a small fortune. At this point, he begins growing and selling marijuana. El Mayo and his family began like everyone else, as low-level marijuana farmers. El Mayo learned the trade from his earliest trafficking associate, Inés Calderón Quintero, who happens to be Rafael Caro Quintero's uncle. Inés and Mayo would continue working together off and on for years. El Mayo had the product, and business was decent, but what he lacked was wholesale customers. Luck was on Mayo's side, because in 1973, Antonio Cruz Vasquez, arrived in Culiacán, Sinaloa. Vasquez was a Cuban-born trafficker, and his own story is somewhat murky. But what is known is that Vasquez had done time in the U.S. on drug trafficking charges. After a short bid in prison, he traveled down to Mexico in search of a new supplier. He arrives in Culiacán and links up with El Mayo. Vasquez ends up marrying Modesta Zambada, El Mayo's sister and becomes El Mayo's business partner. The Zambadas were already in the heroin business by this point, but with Vasquez's LA and Las Vegas connections, Zambada's heroin business reached a new level. Then in the mid 70s, the Mexican government, under pressure from US authorities, sent soldiers into the Golden Triangle. The Golden Triangle region refers to Chihuahua, Durango, and Sinaloa. The region is legendary for being a rough, rural, and fertile land. That same fertile land that transformed many local families into narco royalty. It's during this time the Zambada clan decides to move to the US, at least until the heat died down in Sinaloa. The Zambada Vasquez crew were bringing in 18 million a year during the 70s. Times were good for the Zambadas. Within a few years, they went from living a modest life to now fast forward in a 14-year-old Jesus Zambada. The younger brother of El Mayo is driving a new Porsche to high school, a gift from his Cuban compadre. But U.S. authorities 
were onto the Vasquez crew. During the Vasquez investigation, and Miles Zambada's name appears for the first time in the U.S. drug investigation in 1977. In 1978, Vasquez is taken down by DEA agents and sentenced to 15 years in a federal prison. Admayo was now alone in the game, but by now he had developed his own contacts and was operating in Los Angeles and Tijuana. In the early 80s, he joined a group of traffickers led by Miguel Angel Felix. The organization was dedicated to trafficking massive amounts of marijuana and cocaine. Admayo, unlike most of the future kingpins at the time, had developed his own cocaine sources in Central America. Nonetheless, the political and logistical advantages that collaboration with his fellow traffickers could bring sealed the deal for Admayo. The Guadalajara cartel was born, and throughout the 80s, it smuggled more cocaine through Mexico than any other group before. Corruption began to spread. And soon, the cash bribes from traffickers to federal officials became a tidal wave. And Mayo kept a low profile when Kiki Camarena was abducted and killed. He survived the government crackdown and kept moving drugs north. In 1987, Felix Gallardo called a meeting in Acapulco. All the top traffickers were there. Gallardo announced he was dividing up the plazas. His nephews, the Ariano Felix brothers, were left in charge of Tijuana. In 1989, Gallardo was taken down by federales in Guadalajara. He was convicted for the murder of DEA agent Kiki Camarena. Gallardo at first kept the peace between the traffickers, but soon that would all end. In 1989, an incident took place in Tijuana that would spark a brutal war between the Ariano brothers and then Mayo and his compadres El Chapo and El Huero Palma. Both the Zambada clan and the Arianos would lose family members during the war, among other families. Armando Lopez was a charismatic, good time having type of narco. He was a playboy and known to snort a couple of lines here and there at some of the most expensive nightclubs in Guadalajara and Hermosillo. He also happened to work for El Chapo. Back then, Armando, who was known to the streets as El Rayo, he was a trusted operator of El Chapo Guzman. He flew Cessna planes carrying El Chapo's coke to northern Sonora. El Rayo was sent to Tijuana to coordinate with the Arianos. Apparently, El Rayo fell in love with Enedina Ariano the sister of the Ariano brothers. Ramon and Benjamin did not approve. One night, El Rayo, who was out partying at a Tijuana nightclub, got word that Benjamin Ariano was celebrating his daughter's baptism. Drunk and in a euphoric state, El Rayo decided to crash the party. He arrives at Benjamin's mansion, but without an invitation, the guards deny him entrance. Ramon notices El Rayo making a big scene with the guards at the front door. He walks towards El Rayo, and without saying anything, shoots him in the head. Ramon picked up El Rayo, threw him in the back of a pickup truck, and drove to the outskirts of the city where he dumped the body. The murder of El Rayo outraged El Chapo and El Mayo. Soon after, El Mayo began skipping piso payments to the Arianos. Mayo was upset over violent incidents that had occurred between some of his men and the Ariano brothers. He was also upset about the brothers pushing out Javier Caro Payan who was also related to Rafael Caro Quintero, a close friend of El Mayo. The tension was building between the two sides. The Arianos were also upset that El Mayo, who they considered family, was taking El Chapo's side. The Arianos kept waiting for their money. The debt owed by El Mayo had reached several million dollars. After an Ariano hit squad failed to kill El Mayo in Tijuana, he fled to Sinaloa. He called the brothers and invited them down to Puerto Vallarta to hash out the problems they were having. El Mayo laid a trap for the Arianos at Christine's, a high-priced nightclub. El Mayo and El Chapo's gunmen ambushed the Arianos inside the club. The sicarios disguised themselves as soldiers to gain entry. As soon as they entered, they shot and killed most of the Ariano bodyguards, except for one. 
who engaged the hit team, which bought enough time for the brothers to escape. From then on, it was all-out warfare between the Arianos on one side and El Mayo, El Chapo, and El Huero Palma on the opposite. Around this time, El Mayo began working more closely with Amado Carrillo Fuentes. El Mayo would spend most of the 90s working with the Juarez cartel. In 1993, El Mayo's compadre El Chapo is captured in Guatemala and eventually ends up in the maximum security prison. With Chapo in jail, El Mayo and Huero Palma were left to fend off the Ariano Felix hit teams. At one point in 1994, the Arianos tried to kill El Mayo with a car bomb. They tried the same with El Chapo two years before. In 1999, the war got more personal. El Mayo's second wife, Leticia, lost her parents and several family members when an Ariano hit team stormed the hotel they were staying in and killed everyone in the suite. The war would drag on for decades. In 2001, Ariano gunmen led by Ramon's bloodthirsty sicario known as Hitler executed farmhands at a ranch called El Cajoncito. The ranch belonged to Javier Torres Felix, a high-level Zambada trafficker. When Javier was not found, the workers were killed instead. In 2001, El Chapo escapes from prison in a laundry cart. He boards a helicopter and flies off to Sinaloa. And with the help of El Mayo, Ignacio Coronel, and the Beltran Leva brothers, they formed the Sinaloa cartel. The 2000s were a decade of growth for El Mayo. By 2002, the Ariano brothers were either dead or in prison. By the mid-2000s, the Tijuana cartel was looking vulnerable. El Mayo took advantage of the situation and gradually took the plazas of Mexicali and Tecate. During the war against the Tijuana cartel, Vicente Zambada began to take a more active role in his father's business. He recounted how he smuggled his first shipment of cocaine. Vicente was in Cancun in 1996 with Javier Diaz, the plaza boss in charge of Cancun. He was there to assist Diaz, who was supposed to take charge of 1,600 kilos of coke that was due to arrive. The plan was temporarily thrown into disarray when Diaz was killed in Mexico City just days before the shipment was about to arrive. Vicente stepped up and at the age of 21, carefully lined up security, transportation, and storage for the 1,600 kilos that arrived near Cancun. Within five years, Vicente would come to occupy a top-level position in the cartel. By the mid-2000s, Vicente was estimated to be worth upwards of $1 billion. In 2008, Alfredo Beltran was captured by Army Special Forces in Culiacán. The Beltran brothers accused El Chapo of betrayal and declared war against their old business partners. El Mayo backed up El Chapo in the war against the Beltran Leivas. Manuel Torres Felix was a Zambada trafficker and enforcer. He was one of El Mayo's most aggressive enforcers that went to war against the Beltran Leiva brothers. Soon there were bodies dropping all over the city. El Mayo added more security for his family. Vicente Zambada, who by now was his father's right-hand man, bought control of the Mexico City airport along with his uncle, El Rey Zambada. They ended up paying 20 million to two high-level federal officials so that El Mayo and his organization could land 727s full of cocaine. El Mayo Zambada now had several airports under his control. He created his own cocaine superhighway. Direct flights out of Colombia and Central America would land in Mexico City, bringing in tons of coke every week. All of this success was no coincidence, especially in Mexico. Unbeknownst to most, the president, Felipe Calderón, along with the Secretary of Public Safety, Genaro Garcia Luna, were providing protection to El Mayo and El Chapo. All along, part of the success that the Sinaloa cartel enjoyed was owed to corrupt federal officials who cashed in on the opportunity 
to make millions without ever having to get their hands dirty. Aviones SA is an aircraft maintenance and repair company. It also sells planes. Throughout the 2000s, Sedena, which is a Secretariat of National Defense, did business with Aviones SA. The company was in charge of repairing numerous aircraft, and they even sold the government several Cessna planes. Aviones SA is actually one of Elmayo's companies. So, in an ironic twist, as described by Elmayo's nephew, the government put their planes in their enemies' hands. But even corruption isn't enough protection sometimes, as in the case of Elmayo's sons, Vicente, Ismael, and Serafin. Vicente was double-crossed. After a meeting with DEA agents in a Mexico City hotel, he was apprehended by Army Special Forces. He was later extradited to the U.S., where he agreed to testify against El Chapo. He is scheduled to be released within five years. Ismael is known as Maito Gordo. He was captured by federal agents and was extradited to San Diego in 2019. Serafin is El Mayo's youngest son. He was taken into custody at the Nogales border crossing when authorities found out he had an active warrant. He took a plea deal and was released early with good behavior. He walked out of prison, got into an SUV, and hasn't been seen since. The Beltran Leyva cartel took a massive hit in 2009 when the boss, Arturo Beltran Leyva, was killed in a shootout with Marines in Cuernavaca. But victories like the killing of Arturo Beltran was also due to the ability of El Mayo to bribe federal officials. Arturo was killed, not by accident. In fact, Genaro Garcia, is said to have sent word to the Marines leading the raid. Arturo was not to survive the confrontation. Hinaro was keeping his end of the bargain for El Mayo. Another corrupt chief was Comandante Bayardo. He was a high-level PFP official. He was also receiving 25k a month from El Mayo. And on several occasions, Bayardo and his men even joined El Mayo's gunmen when they would raid an enemy safe house. Zambada suffered a huge loss when his brother and right-hand man Jesus Zambada was arrested by federal agents when they surprised him at his swanky Mexico City mansion. During the shootout, Jesus, who was known as El Rey, called several police commanders and security directors who were on his payroll. El Rey was panicking. He wasn't sure if the federal agents outside were just there to arrest him or they could be there to kill him on orders from his enemies, the Beltran Leyva brothers. The Beltran Leyva brothers, who were also known to buy entire Alfie squads, to do their bidding. When backup failed to arrive, El Rey declared he wouldn't be taken alive. He raised his gun to his temple, but before he could squeeze, his son, who was taking cover, jumped up and prevented his father from taking his life. El Rey was a significant catch, but El Rey's hunch about these agents were somewhat right. As the arrested cartel members were being booked and processed, the authorities had yet to make public that El Rey was one of the captured traffickers. The reason was that some in high-level offices were negotiating with El Rey. They were basically extorting El Rey for his freedom. If he could pay them a nice amount of money, he would be let go. Since the public did not yet know the government had just captured possibly one of the biggest cocaine smugglers in the world. But before they could reach a deal, the U.S. government got wind of what was going on and pressured the Mexican government to announce El Rey's capture. El Rey would end up being extradited to the U.S. and then went on to testify against El Chapo in 2019. El Rey's son, Jesus Zambada Reyes, was also captured with his father. He would go on to divulge everything to authorities almost as soon as the cuffs were on his wrists. He was a young kid just captured in a shootout. He began to cooperate with authorities. Reyes was given a new identity and entered the witness protection program. While he helped the government with his inside information, some government officials began to get worried. The young Zambada may not have had much experience smuggling drugs, but he was the person delivering payments to high-level officials on behalf of his father. Those agents that dealt with the Zambadas 
had also turned informant and were now offering to give information on more prominent people in the federal government that were also taking their cut of the bribes. Several months later, Jesus Zambada Reyes was found dead in the safe house where he was guarded by AFI agents. Officially, his death was ruled a suicide. After El Rey's arrest, El Mayo was furious about the double-crossing government. He even called Los Pinos the official residence of the president. Whether he actually talked to President Calderón is uncertain. However, the message from Los Pinos was that the Americans were putting a lot of pressure on them, and releasing him would look bad. El Mayo wondered what was the point of paying bribes if the government still goes after you. On November 4, 2008, a Learjet 45 had taken off from San Luis Potosi en route to Mexico City. Suddenly, the jet exploded in a fireball and came crashing down onto a city street. It demolished an entire block and injured several people. Everyone on board the jet was killed. The target of the explosion was Juan Camilo Morino, Secretary of the Interior. It was revenge from El Mayo. The story goes that El Mayo's gunman placed C4 explosives on the plane. In 2010, El Mayo's niece and daughter were kidnapped in Tijuana by Ariano Felix cartel members specifically a cell ran by Juan Cias Rocha, El Cias. The kidnappers recorded a short interrogation of the women, but they mostly just wanted the women to denounce their famous drug lord relative. However, the video failed to get a response from El Mayo. A few days later, they kidnapped El Mayo's estranged sister, Aguida. They were held for weeks until an anonymous tip alerted a nearby army command about armed men at a house in Tijuana. The army units arrived, and a gun battle broke out. The sicarios finally gave up after an hour of fighting. The three women were rescued unharmed. In 2013, one of El Mayo's most trusted security chiefs, Rodrigo Gamboa, better known as El Chino Antrax, by Dutch agents in the Amsterdam airport in 2013. El Chino was not the ordinary security chief. He was tasked with making sure the Zambado family was guarded at all times. He was also a founding member of Los Antrax, a Zambada enforcement cell. El Chino would eventually return to Mexico, breaking his house arrest. He traveled to Culiacán, where just a few days later, El Chino was kidnapped from his sister's house, and along with his sister and her husband, they were killed and left inside their SUV by the side of the road. Zambada did not retaliate against Los Chapitos, who are believed to have ordered the execution. El Chino isn't the first Zambada enforcer to go down violently. El Macho Prieto was given up by El Mayo to federal authorities. El Mayo felt that Macho Prieto was out of control, so he gave up his location to federal police. A joint task force made up of Marines and Federales located in Macho Prieto in the coastal city of Puerto Peñasco. An intense shootout began as soon as El Macho's gunmen saw the police activity outside the condo tower they were staying in. El Macho Prieto was shot down as he fired back at the soldiers and policemen. Another enforcer met a similar end, Manuel Torres Felix, who was a known and feared cartel shot caller was surprised by soldiers in an operation that eventually led to a shootout on a country trail with Torres Felix riddled with bullets. Then in 2014, the government finally caught the most wanted trafficker in the world, El Chapo. El Chapo was apprehended after a drawn-out chase that eventually ended in a Mazatlan hotel. Coincidentally, Mazatlan at the time, and still to this day, is a Zambada Plaza. Any major operations would have been detected by El Mayo's lookouts, or the city cops that were on his payroll. El Chapo's subsequent escape in 2015 was short-lived. He was recaptured only a couple months later. Any major operations would have been detected by El Mayo's lookouts or the city cops that were on his payroll. El Chapo's subsequent escape in 2015 was short-lived. He was recaptured only a couple months later.
El Chapo was extradited to the U.S. in 2016. His extradition encouraged Damaso Lopez, a Sinaloa cartel boss that was eyeing the top position when he felt El Chapo's kids would just roll over. In 2017, Damaso organized a meeting between the three sides. The meeting was supposed to address the problems they were having with each other. Los Chapitos and El Mayo arrived on time. Damaso, however, was nowhere when all of a sudden SUVs come speeding through and start firing at the traffickers that had gathered inside the house. It was a trap set up by Damaso. He was making a play for the whole cartel. The attack failed to kill El Mayo or Los Chapitos. Eventually, Damaso was tracked down by police and arrested. This wasn't the first time Los Chapitos would almost end up dead. Back in 2016, it was El Mayo who, among others, helped save their lives. When Los Chapitos were kidnapped by a rogue CJNG enforcement squad while they dined at an upscale restaurant. Officially, CJNG kidnapped Los Chapitos but released them unharmed when El Chapo and El Mayo threatened retaliation against El Mencho's son who was in a maximum security prison awaiting trial. Los Chapitos are ambitious and are steadily growing in power and influence. This has alarmed El Mayo because Los Chapitos are known to show off their wealth and are far more visible than El Mayo. That's why when Ovidio Guzman was captured by National Guard soldiers during the infamous battle of Culiacán, El Mayo held back his gunmen. Los Chapitos never forgot how El Mayo basically turned his back on them in their time of need. All of this resentment has boiled over into intercell warfare. In Culiacán, Los Chapitos' main enforcer is El Nini. He's going against El Russo, a high-level Zambada security chief. Also, their cells are fighting against each other in northern Sonora. El Mayo is almost completely out of the day-to-day -day operations. Maito Flaco is the heir apparent for now. El Mayo has always been a true businessman. He knows the end is drawing near, at least for the Sinaloa cartel, so he is eyeing any and all possibilities that would allow him to retire somehow. His sons are already in the U.S. They will most likely disappear into the witness protection program once their prison terms end. For now though, the authorities continue searching for El Mayo, who according to him, knows the Sierra like the back of his hand.